Hi, this is Peter Diamandis here with Dan Sullivan, and this is your next increment of exponential wisdom. Dan, a pleasure. Absolutely a pleasure. You know, one of the biggest breakthroughs, Peter, in my lifetime, which goes back to the 1940s, is a subject that was pretty well fixed when I was born, how long you're going to live. You know, there was lots of records that showed when people died, and most people had that as an expectation. I think one of the greatest breakthroughs in human history is actually happening right now, and it's in the last 10, 15, 20 years, and that is the whole notion that lifetime can be negotiable, lifetime can be extendable. Can you kind of tell me, because I know you were in on this right from the beginning, because you're a doctor, you were right in on the medical sciences right from the beginning. When do you see this whole notion that we might be able to extend lifetime far, far beyond what was considered even possible just a couple decades ago? Sure. And I know that this is a subject of interest to every single person listening. So it's important. So first of all, I set my goal of a multi-hundred-year lifespan when I was in medical school. I spent a decade at MIT and Harvard with some of the best faculty telling me this stuff can't happen, and that's fine. Usually it just spurs me to want to move forward. But I remember I was in medical school, and I saw this episode on ocean mammals, on whales, and on sea turtles, reptiles, that have a multi-hundred-year lifespan. And my question was, if they can, why can't we? And it was the realization early on when I started thinking about this and learning about it from people who had done deep dives that as humans, evolutionarily, we were never meant to live more than 30 years, right? It turns out that for hundreds of thousands, millions of years as Homo sapiens and our previous relatives, you would become reproductive age at age 13. You would have a child, give birth. And you would help that child get from zero to age 13 where it would reproduce and you'd become a grandparent at 26 or 30 years old, at which point you were a detriment to your clan because you were eating the food of the newborn. And so the most respectful thing you could do is die, <laughs> you know, and give your, as you like to say, Dan, give your parts back to the environment. Mm -hmm. And so if you came down with heart disease or – and then women would go through menopause and would lose reproductive age in their 30s. Today, it's extended to early 40s with modern medicine. But if you came down with a disease, heart disease, neurodegenerative disease, cancer after that, that didn't matter to the evolutionary selfish gene because you'd already reproduced. Mm -hmm. So you know the numbers even better than I do. What's the historical lifespan, Dan, for humanity? You think that we wouldn't have really good records, but one of the things that's always been documented throughout all societies was issues related to probate. In other words, the passing of possessions from one generation to another. And this is probably the most documented statistic on the planet. It has to do with when you die, who gets your stuff. And so there's ages connected to these going back thousands of years. But the Romans were the best at it because they had a great legal system. We do know that in the year one of our era, 1 AD. 1 AD, that we have the Romans basically living to 26 on average. Didn't mean you didn't have 80-year-olds. It just meant that if you took everybody and averaged the age, it was 26 because you had infant mortality. It was a fairly violent society, so people got killed early. Disease knocked them off. Fast forward to the year 1800 in Europe. Again, tremendous records. 
that they have, and we've improved by two years over 1,800 years. And again, I think it's uh, essentially for the reasons that you, the evolutionary viability is that basically by the time you were 30, you were supposed to have been done. But the real change that happened is that up until 1800, basically, you were valuable for your muscles. And after 1800, you started becoming incredibly valuable because of your brain. I think that that's the big jump now. Someone with a really, really great 80-year-old brain can be more valuable than somebody with a 20-year-old brain. And I think it's the brain impact that we're valuable forever. I mean, there's lots of people right now that you know who are just so valuable to the planet just because of their ingenuity. You said, gee, I wish that person lived to 250. Sure. So I think it's important for people to realize that humanity for most of our existence had an average age in your mid to late 20s. And if you're over that age now, I mean, we all count our, not lucky stars, but the stars of science because it was in the late 1800s, early 1900s with the germ theory, with medicine, with better sewage systems that we ended up learning how to live healthier and prevent disease. And for most of history, if you lived old, what would knock you off is cardiovascular disease first, mm -hmm. and then cancer. And then ultimately, if you lived into your late 80s, neurodegenerative disease. If you're 85 years old, you have a 50% shot at Alzheimer's, which is incredible, right? And if you live to mm -hmm. 90, 95, it increases. And so we are now making incremental strides on reducing cardiac and I think there's a great shot that will lick cancer this decade. There's so many breakthroughs coming on right now with viral therapies and genetic therapies. And then there's a ton of money going into Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative disease. But the real breakthrough, the one that I'm most excited about, the one that Craig Venter, Bob Hurry, and I started a company around is genetics and stem cells. So to provide some context, I should say that there are a number of players out there Larry Ellison, early on, who committed hundreds of millions of dollars recently, Google committed a billion dollars to one of their companies, Calico, and there are other players right now, many of whom believe extending the healthy human lifespan is possible. It was about two years ago that Craig Venter, Bob Hurry, and I came together. We announced a year ago a company called Human Longevity, and Human Longevity has two pillars as part of it. And I'll use this as the example, but there will be other companies. We're talking about a trillion-dollar marketplace, right? There is $60 trillion locked up in wealth in people over the age of 60. And so what portion of your wealth wouldn't you give for an extra 10, 20, 30 years? And that's for recorded wealth. We both know there's lots of other wealth unrecorded out there. So what we're doing is today we're sequencing and large-scale the full genomes of individuals. And at HLI... We're not only sequencing your genome, your mother and father's genome, but also your microbiome, which is the genetics of the bacteria living throughout your system, which affect everything in you. Your quantitative MRI, a full imaging of your body, your metabolome, the 2300 chemicals in your bloodstream, and your phenotypic records. And then we're using machine learning, which we've talked about in the past, mm -hmm. to mine that data and say, listen, everyone who had this gene sequence came down with this disease or vice versa. So understanding what cards you were dealt in the game of life from your gene sequence and then how to protect against that, how to vary that is one part. The other part of the company is this whole 
realm of stem cells. And stem cells are the regenerative engine of our body. I have two four-year-old kids and coursing through their body are stem cells that if they see an error in the muscle and heart and neuron, whatever, those stem cells are called to places where there's inflammation or where there's damage and they can turn into and replace those damaged cells. But over the course of our body, over our age of 30, 40, 50, 60 years, our stem cell population becomes depleted and it also undergoes these epigenetic changes. It's like having the best analogy I've heard is you have a mansion. In the beginning of that mansion, you had a, a repairman who could repair anything. But over years, that repairman becomes senile and forgets how to repair things. Eventually, your mansion will become in disrepair. So one of the things the question is, how do we rejuvenate our stem cell populations and allow them to continually regenerate the body? Peter, just going back, I forget to give a statistic that since 1800, the average lifespan on the planet has gone from 28 to 68. So if you take all 7 billion people, average amount, and again, there's very good statistics on this, and they're getting better. So in all of human history, you got up to 28, but in roughly just a little over 200 years, you've added 40 years. And I think the reason is because it's been seen as valuable to have people live much longer. And I think that one of the things is, is there something exciting ahead that would prompt you to live ahead? Because a lot of people, their past is much bigger and more interesting than their future. The one thing I looked into was the founding fathers of the United States, which is we're really talking in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Actually, Jefferson and Adams, two of the real pillars of the American founders, they both died on July 4th, 1826, on the, 50, uh, on, the <laughs> on the 50th anniversary. And when Adams died, his last words were, Jefferson still lives. <laughs> but Jefferson died three hours later. But the interesting thing about it is if you look at four of them, Washington, Hamilton, Jefferson and Adams, the youngest died at 68 and the oldest died at 92. You say, well, why did they live so long? And I said, because they were doing something really exciting. They were creating yeah. what they thought is the most exciting country that was ever going to exist on the planet. So we have the medical backup to this, but there's a lot of intellectual, emotional, psychological factors also that are connected to the longevity. And that people have total control over. Absolutely. I recently saw a study that your mindset about how long you're going to live is one of the greatest determinants of your length of your life. Mm -hmm. We all know that sort of thing when one couple is very close together, when one dies, the other one doesn't live much longer. Another statistic which is scary is <laughs> you could look it up is the death rate after retirement. Retirement is the most is the worst thing you could possibly do. Put your mind out to pasture and your body will follow quickly thereafter. One of the things that is a real indicator of the retirement, the impact of retirement is that in the US the social security came in in 1936, okay? So they tracked the numbers and 50 years later, I know that, I don't know what it is now, but 50 years later, the average payout per person under Social Security was 29 months. 
Yeah. That was over a 50-year period. Two and a half years. Yeah, so people weren't lasting. And I think that's why the government loved Social Security, because they thought that basically it was kind of like a Ponzi scheme. (laughs) We take in the money. We take in the money. You know, the, the House takes in, the House doesn't give out. But that just indicates one of the fundamental rethinking that you're going to have to do on a big scale is that a lot of the support for people getting older is premised on them dying at 89. But what if you extended another 20 years? Almost every structure of society has to be rethought, reorganized, refocused. I do think we're going to see an extended healthy human lifespan. And our mantra at Human Longevity is really having the the mobility, the cognition, and the aesthetics, right? So it's you can move well, you can think sharply, and you look good at the age of 100 that you have at 60. That's sort of my target of where I want us to go, where Bob and Craig. Two things, Dan. First of all, you set a longevity goal some time ago. I'd love you to talk about what that is. And then let's chat about what are the implications if we really do add 30, 40, 50, 100 years on people's life. What does that mean for society? As we're giving this interview, it's been 29 years. 29 years ago, I set a lifespan goal of 156. And people say, why 156? Well, I was born in 1944. And I said, boy, it would be neat to live a complete century. And of course, I missed the 20th because I was born in 44. So I said, I'll do the 21st century. And so 1944 to 2100 is 156. So I just started writing this down. And this is very, very important. It's my belief about goal setting period, not just this particular area, that it pays to really set extraordinary goals And the reason is because you would really, really want to achieve them. And every possible positive force that you have in your brain and your experience would want to achieve a really extraordinary goal. But most people can't do it because it's unreasonable. There's no social support around them for this type of goal. But on the other hand, if you just keep repeating it to yourself, I mean, you don't even have to tell anybody. And for the longest time, I really didn't. I would say for the first five years, I never told anybody about this. It was just that every time I would write down what my lifetime goal was, it would be 156. And, you know, after about a year or two, it was as normal as thinking 78. At that time, 78 was the expectant lifespan for a male in the United States, 78. So I just doubled it. Then I got into the program, the strategic coach program, and I started coaching people. And we did an exercise called the Lifetime Extender, where I got people to actually do this. And I remember I had a lot of doctors in the early 90s who were very vocally opposed to my whole notion of what I was doing with this exercise. And they would come up to me and they say, you know, it's a really interesting thinking exercise and you got all sorts of ideas. But I want to tell you that I can tell you right now as a doctor, all my medical training, everything I know says this does not happen. And I says, well, that's good. (laughs) I said, here's the deal about it. Do I think I'll live to 156? I said, I know I have no chance to live to 156 if it's not my goal. So I'm just going to stack the odds in my favor by having it as the goal, and then we'll see what shows up around me in the world. So 20 years later, that same doctor, he was in strategic coach for 20 years, and he's situated right in Silicon Valley. He's in one of the small communities around Silicon Valley. 
So he got up in one of the workshops and he said, I want to tell you, 20 years ago, Dan did this, and I was the biggest skeptic in the world, but I'm talking to the researchers, I'm talking to the scientists, I'm talking to the doctors in Silicon Valley, and all what they're telling me is use every common sense rule that there is for staying healthy and staying fit right now because in just a decade or so, we're going to catch the express elevator on this, and science is going to give us a boost that is not possible. I said, see, don't you all wish you had established the goal 20 years ago? I mean, you'd be so much more open, but that's exactly how it happens. When you say multi-century, you know, was there an actual number? Yeah, I I did say a number, which is ridiculous. I said 700 years is a lifespan. Yeah, yeah. And it's ridiculous because if you can live that long, you can live forever. Yes. And I think that's really, truly where we're heading towards an indefinite lifespan. It's heretical to say right now, and I have a lot of my friends at Google who've said it vocally. Bill Maris, who's the head of Google Ventures, which is their investment arm, is probably the most vocal on that, and he's been a big fan of this area and investing in these areas. But if you think about this, why? Why not? I mean, our bodies have perfect information, and they just were never designed to live longer than 30 years. We've already stretched that 2x, we're going to 3 and 4x. Then why can't we, in fact, re-engineer and rejuvenate? And I think we can. I just find it amusing that in about 10 years, you're going to have a midlife crisis. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole thing is, and I talked to Craig Venter when I was first introduced to Craig, I said, you know, the technology is one thing, the science is another thing. But I said, you won't take advantage of either the technology or the sciences if you don't have any reason to live long. So my feeling is that there's going to be a lot of training in extending and expanding your reason for being alive. That's going to be part of the educational system. And I can imagine, looking at you, Peter, where you are at your present age, you're in your 50s now, that with your curiosity and your alertness and your kind of responsiveness and resourcefulness regarding technology, that you're going to be exponentially more skillful at what you're doing 25 years from now, 50 years from now, than you are today. And I think that this is really how you have to look at your life. You're not going to do it if you're not valuable to anyone. You're not going to do it if you're not stimulating to yourself. And I think that this is where the real rethink is going to happen in human affairs, that life gets more exciting the longer you live. It really is. I mean, the most exciting day is tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. We're entering the most extraordinary time ever in human history where there is nothing that's impossible You know, my passions are about solving grand challenges. I think in the next 20, 30 years, we're going to uplift most all of humanity. That's what abundance was about. I think that we're going to be finding life outside of Earth. Maybe it's in the moons of Jupiter. Maybe it's on Mars. Maybe it's in other star systems. I mean, we're now finding planets around every star we look at. We're going to become a multiplanetary species over the next 30 years. Uh, We're going to be creating virtual worlds that we're going to be living into I mean, who would not want to be alive for this extraordinary existence that we're creating? But it really is a mind game, Mm -hmm. right? There are two games we have to play. One is the fitness and biological game of living long enough to live forever. In other words, it's a bridge to a bridge to a bridge, as my friend Ray Kurzweil writes in his book, Fantastic Voyage, about extending the healthy human lifespan. Ray is a huge proponent of this and has been for decades, and he believes as well Ray Kurzweil does that we are on 
getting the tools to re-engineer ourselves. His view for Bridge Towards Forever is actually the marriage of biology and silicon. It's how do we upload our brains. And I'm not going there yet. I hope to uh, extend my human lifespan in human form for a bit longer, but but we'll see. The tools that we have to do this as well, and artificial intelligence and genetic engineering are extraordinary. But I'm curious about how it's going to change society. Till death do us part? Are you going to get married and spec to spend 100 years with a person? Already one thing that's changed is people used to get a job in a company for life, right? You'd be at IBM for 50 years mm-hmm. or 30 years, whatever it is. And now the average job span is like five years before you change your job. Not people who work at Coach because they love being here so long, they stay with you for decades as well. But Social Security, careers, I mean, a lot of things are going to change. I keep talking to people about this. I said, you know, the whole the entire educational system as it now exists. I think one of the real problems that I'm seeing is the whole notion of system. I call into question the whole notion of system. I think it's a very industrial age notion that you have a system that's uniformly applicable to everybody. If there's one thing that we know about what's happening at HLI, it's actually that the moment that you get your genome mapped out, your health care for the rest of your life, life care, actually what it's going to be, it's not going to be health care, it's going to be life care, is going to be totally custom designed. And I think that this is the real breakthrough that the possibility of every human life being custom designed according to what you bring to the table and what your aspirations are, that's really going to be the educational system, and it's going to be highly individual. Now, the truth of the matter is that only a few get to operate that way right now, but according to your whole notion that every breakthrough on the planet wants to democratize as as quickly as you can, so what was a $100 million genome in 2001 is now $1,000. And probably as it becomes commonplace, it's going to be like $15. Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to continue to plummet. Yeah, it's going to plummet. So my feeling is that you got to think about this from a lot of different dimensions. We're reaching the end of this episode, but we should talk about leadership in our next episode. If you're a leader in any area of human activity right now on the planet, and these are the things you have to think about. How do you do it without going crazy? How do you do it and keep real simple and real sane? So I think you meet leaders from all over the planet, and you probably have a spectrum of those on the crazy end and those on the sane end. So maybe we ought to talk about what it's going to talk to be a leader in any area of human activity. I like that as our next podcast. So let's plan for leadership next. I would say for those listening and wrapping up on longevity, a couple of things. First and foremost, the basics still exist. Exercise, eat healthy, living long enough to be able to intercept these extraordinary breakthroughs that we're expecting this decade and next is very important. Mindset, also very important. A strategic coach is one place that you can get this mindset as a entrepreneur, as a CEO, to understand about how do you make sure that you're excited about life, that if you have the gift to see your great-great-great-grandchildren, you want to be excited enough about life to be able to want to live that long. 
Peter, just one thing before we leave, the contact information for HLI right now. I know you're going big this year. This is the year the door is open. Yeah, it's humanlongevity.com. If you're a member of Abundance 360 or a member of Strategic Coach or you get my blog when the doors do open, because right now it's just limited to a small number of our Abundance 360 members in our beta testing, but when it's ready to open the doors, we'll let everybody know through one of these organizations. But until then, remember, it really is truly the most extraordinary time ever to be alive. I hope you live a life that's abundant and bold. And Dan, I thank you every day for the amazing work that you're doing and the impact you've been for my life. Thank you very much.